Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Ground Under Repair. This is a podcast about golf the participatory game, not golf the spectator sport. Here, we intend to have people who work in and around the game of golf come on and tell us how they came to love the game, why they love it enough to make their living in it, and a little bit of what we don't see in our everyday rounds that goes into making them happen. Oh sure, we love watching golf too, and we might make some mention from time to time of what goes on on tour, but more importantly, we want to talk about golf, the game that you and I and everybody we know plays, the game that forces humility and patience on people, that gives us endless opportunities for optimism and for humor, and maybe more importantly gives us a haven we can run to when we need things to slow down. This week, I spoke with Chris Riley, the head golf professional at South Shore Country Club in Hingham, Massachusetts. Chris talked to me about his own journey as a golfer, some of the more notable things he's encountered in lessons, and ways that we up north deal with our golf habits over the wintertime. It may be spring this week, but here in the Boston area, it's freezing, and there is still some snow left on the ground, so it's worth checking out how we cope. Under repair. I'm joined this week by Chris Riley, head golf professional at South Shore Country Club in Hingham, Massachusetts. His hometown course, where he worked there as early as high school. Chris, thank you for coming on this afternoon. Thanks so much for having having me, and uh, look forward to talking to you. Now, you've been the head golf professional at South Shore Country Club since 2014. Before that, you worked as an assistant and. As I said, due to my research, it says you worked there as early as high school. So this is your hometown course, huh? This is my hometown course. Um, I grew up uh, on the other side of Hingham. I grew up, learned to play golf here. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I went to college up in New Hampshire. And uh, right around graduation time, I decided that I really liked the golf thing. And I, I graduated. And... Um, uh, you know, hooked on over here as an assistant for a great uh, head professional, Joe Keefe. And then uh, he retired in 2014 and I was promoted within. So it's a uh, exciting, uh, it was an exciting uh, time for me and uh, I love being here. To become a, a golf professional, a club professional, that's, that involves a lot of teaching lessons, but I'm sure to become to get to that level, you have to learn how to teach those lessons, I would suppose. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously there's, there's, you can't learning on the fly, to be honest, is, is, uh, you know, you can't overlook that. Um, but when I was younger, first getting started in the business, um, you know, uh, like I said, Joe Keefe, great head professional, just kind of watching him, um, watching how he, uh, you know, how he instructed, um, was was super valuable to me 
Um, and not only Joe, I mean, I've watched many professionals um, teach and um, I've picked up things from everybody. And, um, it, it, you know, it's very helpful. Obviously, teaching is not the easiest thing. And the constantly evolving um, to the student that you have in front of you or students that you have in front of you at every given moment. But um, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of reading, books, a lot of even even just the golf channel on TV, you pick up stuff from those guys. It's uh, there's a plethora of knowledge out there, and uh, our goal is to uh, take uh, all that knowledge that's out there and sort of uh, fine tune it for each individual golfer. And it must be a real lifelong love of the game that gets you to want to teach that and to be a club pro. So when did you start playing golf? So I started, uh, as corny as it may sound, uh, when I was 10 years old. So it was actually uh, 1996. And that was, for those of you uh, who know, Tiger Woods was winning the Masters, his first major, right around that time. And to me, Tiger Woods was uh, my guy. Tiger made golf cool. And, um, you know, at the time, it wasn't necessarily thought of as a cool thing. And I thought it was. I thought Tiger was cool. And uh, that's when I got started. You know, even uh, I took a few, you know, a few introductory golf lessons with my father um, at Pembroke Country Club from Chip Johnson when he was over there. And um, since then, I've, uh, I've just fallen in love. Yeah, you mentioned the boom that kind of happened when Tiger came around. I remember, I, I'm just a little older than that. I started playing golf in about 1990, and I remember how the courses used to be somewhat empty, and then suddenly everyone my age, about 1996, suddenly wanted to start playing golf. The driving ranges were always full, and the executive course was always full where I was growing up. So I remember how crazy that was and how much golf just kind of exploded for a while when tiger came on the scene and started dominating the way he dominated he really changed the game not just the pro game but the game as it's viewed in america yeah i mean the the and you can even though he's he's not playing as much now um and when he is playing he's not playing uh very well unfortunately um you know you guys guys and gals on tour today still talk about tiger woods influence on you know um, prize money. That was a big, uh, Tiger Woods brought millions of dollars into the prize money, um, for every event. Um, and so, you know, he didn't, he, he has done so much and, um, you know, the tour will be forever in his debt for, uh, getting to the point where they're at right now. And, uh, you know, and the, and the, the tour is only moving forward. They're doing some great things now, even without Tiger Woods in the mix. So, um, Jay Monahan, the new, uh, I want to say he's the director. He's, uh, he's got some ideas and, uh, it's going to be good. I actually kind of believe the tour is now crafted in Tiger's image. You look at what golfers looked like in 1994 for the most part, and then you look at what they look like now. And it's almost as if someone came around and dominated and let everyone know that they should probably train during what little off season they have and maybe hit the gym sometimes to get in better shape and now you have guys like Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth who are just well they're like I said it's it's a field crafted in Tiger's image so maybe he's past his greatest moments with golf Jack Nicklaus the Masters at 46 so it's not necessarily that Tiger's done but certainly 
as he enters this later phase in his career, I think he looks around and the tour is almost a tribute to what he was and what he, the example he set. I would have to agree. I mean, it's hard to argue with success. And, uh, you know, uh, at least in my lifetime, there was uh, no bigger success virtually in any sport um, than Tiger. Um, so, I mean, obviously those guys saw what he was doing and they, they said, hey, I want to I wanna be like this guy. And what's the easiest way to do that? Let me start acting like this guy off the course, on the course, training the way he trains. Um, it, it, it's wild. Unfortunately, um, you know, this week with the uh, Arnold Palmer Invitational going on and uh, everything, you know, following his, his recent death, um, all the great stories you hear about him, Arnold Palmer had a similar um, effect on the game of golf. And unfortunately, it was, uh, it was before I was even born, so I was not uh, witness to it. Um, but everything that I've seen uh, on replays or read in, uh, in books or, you know, on the Internet, uh, he, he had a very similar influence. There's a pretty strong chance that neither of us would have ever been playing golf and neither would Tiger had Arnold Palmer not come around. He really democratized the game and showed that, you know, golf will always have that country club image, the the members, the kind of rich elite that play the game. But then you see on tour occasionally someone come up from a different background and the Western Pennsylvania background that Arnold Palmer came from is certainly not country clubs and luxury cars. And I think that's that really helped open up golf to a lot of people who suddenly realized, hey, I can play this game. I can just go and get secondhand clubs and pick up the game. And maybe I won't be Arnold Palmer anytime soon, but it's a lot of fun. And there are public courses everywhere now. And I think that Arnold Palmer and, as we mentioned later on, Tiger Woods have had a huge effect on this. Yeah, I mean, and that's uh, one of the one of the beautiful things that uh, I truly love about South Shore is that I mean we we uh, we see uh, plenty of what we consider our municipal type golfers, guys and gals that aren't necessarily playing five rounds a week. They come out once, twice a month, maybe. Um, but we also uh, you know see people basically seven days a week. Um, so we have a we have a, a nice balance between. Uh, you know, the municipal aspect, um, the beginner golfer, um, and also that sort of somewhat country club type feel. Um, another guy you mentioned um, that we were talking about, Arnold Palmer, and uh, the sort of the blue collared side of golf is, uh, you know, Seve. And uh, I just watched a great movie on him. And uh, Seve got his start, you know, uh, poor, poor family in Spain. And he got his start uh, attaching an old. Uh, club head to a piece to a stick with some twine and hitting rocks on the beach to made to homemade flags and i mean and and unfortunately he's also passed away but sevi will uh forever be known as one of the you know one of the all-time greats one of the greatest shot makers uh that likely could ever be every other september we'll hear quite a bit about sevi because he was one of the Ryder cup stalwarts as well so we certainly he has a legacy in golf as well and that's that's an excellent point i'm glad you brought him up he was uh you know he he was also captain cool i mean I, again before my, before really my time but uh you know from again from what i've read and what i've heard he was he was a pretty cool cat as well just like tiger and arnie and that's 
With all sports, the personalities will always help vault them into another era, and certainly with golf, because golf has a certain image it always has to fight, and guys like Arnold Palmer and Seve and Tiger Woods, and now today, the loaded field of guys like McElroy and Dustin Johnson, and it, these really open the game up to a lot of people, and while he's certainly not on the level of any of these greats that we've talked about, in terms of democratizing golf and getting people who wouldn't normally play the game to take interest in the game, I think it's hard to not mention John Daly as well, although for kind of a different reason, a different set of reasons. But I think we encounter, better or worse, we encounter more John Daly types out on, the, out on our average golf excursions than we do the rest of those guys as well. So. I think in terms of that, he deserves a little bit of a mention as well. Absolutely. And uh, like you said, John Daly is a very interesting character. Um, you know, uh, definitely a little uh, off color, if you would. But uh, golf needs people like him, too. I mean, uh, you know, from John Daly to the, to the person who, uh, you know, started playing golf at a very high-end private club from the age of six. You know, it, it, it golf spans all generations, all age groups, all, de, you know, all demographics, really. And uh, you're right. John Daly, another great example. Hey, everybody. It's still me. We'll be back to Chris Riley in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about Podcast Lab. We have a whole network of podcasts for you. Check out the world of college sports from the people who make it happen on Conference Call with Jim Williams. Jim also hosts longtime Tampa area sports writers Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson on the Sunshine Boys podcast every week. You can hear more of my prattling on about sports with the Pickup Game with Tim Williams, sports fans and analysts from every kind of game. On Fridays, listen for Puck University as I take you through college hockey discussion in season and out. Need a break from the sports world? Jim's got you covered with the Politically Incorrect podcast. And of course, there's more to come. That's the Podcast Lab Network here on Blog Talk Radio. Now back to Ground Under Repair and South Shore Country Club's Chris Riley. Golf is for everyone, and it's one of the true world sports. You have major champions from every inhabited continent now, which is something that no other sport can really claim, and that includes soccer. So that's that's something really interesting to consider about golf, that we, we talk about how it might be inaccessible to some, but really, if you open it up, it's accessible to almost everyone. So long as you can pick up something you can use as a club, and have something to aim at as a target, people will do that. Moving on to your own golf experience a little more, I noticed one of the things you're notable for at South Shore Country Club is that you run a junior golf program, and you focus a lot on the etiquette of golf. For kids growing up, how critical is golf at helping teach etiquette? Uh, I mean... I think it's ultra important. I think it's, it's almost as important. I mean, obviously there's a reason we include it in our, in our uh, programming is that, you know, it's, it doesn't matter if you shoot 150 on the golf course, if you can get around the golf course, acting properly, um, getting around the golf course in an appropriate amount of time. Um, no one's, no one's going to care what you shoot. Um, uh, 
um, especially as a young person, um, when, when adults see you, and, and I'm, it, believe me, it happened to me when I was a young, young person. Um, you know, when adults see a young person on the golf course, their eyes tend to look at that young person. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, even if you may not notice it, they're, they're looking at you. And, um, you know, they're going to be the first ones to kind of get on the kids behind uh, for doing the right, doing the wrong thing, excuse me. And very rarely will uh, someone come up and, and, and compliment the young person on doing the right thing. Um, so etiquette is, is extremely important. And it doesn't have to be, you know, obviously we're not playing for millions of dollars here. But, you know, simple things like, you know, raking the bunker, um, you know, keeping the conversations at an appropriate tone and level, uh, voice level. Um, so that the person in the fairway adjacent to yours doesn't hear you. Um, fixing ball marks on the green. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, at first glance, you don't think much of it. It's like, oh, you know, but over time, a, a ball mark on the green could potentially grow into a bigger problem. And, um, you know, especially if you start at a young age, um, learning the right things to do, we hope that, you know, when you're older, those, those etiquette, uh, things that you learn stick. And, um, and uh, it'll make the golfing experience uh, more pleasurable for, for everyone. Um, you know, just not having to go into, if you hit your ball into a bunker, not having to be in a footprint. I mean, granted, it's a hazard. So, um, you know, you shouldn't have a perfect lie every time. But there's something to be said for going into a cleanly raked bunker versus one that's trampled down with, you know, footprints and, and uh, marks from a club. So, um, you know, we stress it. And uh, that was one of the things. Um, when I first started playing was um, with my father, especially that even if I could have the ability to play on the golf course, which I did, um, you know, thankfully at a, at a relatively early age, um, you know, I had to be able to behave correctly on the golf course. Um, that was a big thing. And, um, you know, our, our juniors here um, as a rule and, you know, um, are pretty good about it. And I know uh, not just us, not to see everyone here at South Shore Country Club or promoting etiquette for juniors, but, you know, um, other clubs and programs all around are, are promoting, uh, you know, acting properly on the golf course. Well, and golf kind of forces etiquette on you outside of golf, that if you think about these rules for more than a second, and, of course, when a kid's told a rule that they find a little bit arbitrary, all they can do is think about it, you start to think about considering other people a little more than you do normally. You start to think about why you do things that seem a little strange on a golf course, but then you realize, oh, it's helping the people behind me. It's helping the people in my group. It, in some cases, it's helping the people in front of me because when you're playing on a public course and things can get a little slow sometimes, say on a Sunday afternoon, the last thing you want is to be that guy in the group that gets frustrated and does something stupid. And that's, I think that it's great to teach that to kids. And it's something that kids, they get it at home, but outside of the home, etiquette's really not something that kids are taught so much anymore. So golf really helps a lot in that respect as well. Another thing it helps in is teaching humility, because I've always believed golf, the first thing golf will do is force humility on people. Almost everyone I've ever seen pick up a club, their first thought is, oh, it can't be that hard. And then they start to play golf and they realize nothing could be further from the truth. It's an extremely hard game. And 
I can imagine for someone that's younger, that gets very frustrating in a hurry. How do you turn that frustration into a teachable moment? Well, yeah, you're, you're 100% correct, especially, uh, like you said, someone who potentially excels at a, at a different sport, um, you know, who is a successful, let's use the example of a hockey player. That's what I was when I was younger. Hockey was first and then golf was second. But um, for someone to excel at something and then try something new and, and to and to uh, potentially run into some, some issues, uh, you know, maybe that golf doesn't come as easily to a person. Um Believe me, golf does not come easily to uh, a vast, vast majority of golfers. Um, you know, uh, persistence is uh, is is one of my one of the words I like to think of and use. Um, you know, bad rounds happen, bad shots happen. You're never gonna, you know, we're not playing, we're not on TV, we're not we're not gonna hit every shot perfect. Um, you know, just like in let's say use the hockey example again. You know, you 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 think you're making the right pass, the pass gets intercepted, and the goal is scored against you. It happens. You hit the wrong club, you go over the green, you're in a water hazard. Hey, you know what? Tough break. Take your drop. Try to get up and down. Um, you know, in hockey, try to go on your next shift and score a goal to tie it or win the game. Um, you know, persistence is uh, is key, especially in golf. I mean, it's very easy to give up. Um, you know, I, unfortunately, I've seen it uh, with people I've played with. Um, just being out on the golf course, you know, one bad shot has a tendency to uh, – ruin a day and i don't really know why um i can't say maybe i've just been around it for so long and i understand that bad shots happen um but you know there you know there's always another hole even if a mistake happens on the 18th hole guess what you're probably going to tee it up again soon and next time you go out you'll know not to make the same mistake the 18th hole will always keep you coming back. If you had a really bad round for some reason, everyone seems to put it together on 18. And if you've had a better round than normal, something frustrating will happen that sticks in your in your craw, so to speak, and you have to come back and make sure you've worked out that issue in your game. So I always like that about the end of rounds. 18, for whatever reason, and my dad always said this, 18 will keep you coming back. It always does. No matter what, like you said, positive or negative, it'll always get you to come back to the, you know, to the golf course again or, you know, put out on 18 and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go to the range, I'm going to hit a bucket. I know something that, uh, you know, something was going wrong out there and I think I know how to fix it. Um, let me go over the range. And if you can't fix it, guess what? Guys like me are in the, in the golf shops and uh, we're here to, uh, and we're more than happy to help you. And on that note, now, obviously, nobody wants to embarrass anybody here. So without naming names, what's the funniest <laughs> story you can share about giving a golf lesson? Oh, uh, wow. Um, so, I mean, uh, not, to pick, not to pick on juniors or beginners, but most of the funny things happen with uh, juniors and beginners. Um, I had uh, the, the, one of the things that it, it always happens. Um, uh, especially with the kids, is uh, showing up for golf lessons or camp uh, in sandals. And um, for some reason, I always get a kick out of that. Uh, I don't know why. Um, I guess it's not overly funny, but I, I always seem to get a chuckle out of it. Um, and there's always the, there's always the instances of the uh, the old uh, club uh, going down range where the golf ball should be. Um, I've seen it many, many a times, uh, and, uh, you know, you try not to chuckle, but, 
as soon as the student parents are heard back, uh, you know, it's hard, it's hard not to laugh. It's always easier if they happen to laugh when it happens as well, so you can be laughing with them. Exactly. Likewise, how rewarding is it when someone comes up to you however long after a lesson and mentions that your help got them to drop strokes from their game? Oh, I mean, it's it's um, it's it's, a, it's almost a compliment. Um, you know, you, I feel um, that obviously uh, the student is the one out there that is they're hitting the shots, you know, shooting that score. But I feel a little bit a, a part of that. Um, it, it is it's so rewarding and it and it, it it makes you want to go back out and find another student or teach someone else um and you know we had just had an experience similar to that uh the other day with a group of women that we've uh we've been doing lessons with inside over the over the winter and uh you know one of the gals came up to me and she said virtually the same thing she said you know what you know or we haven't gone outside yet but i can already feel a difference and to me i mean it, it it's a compliment. It makes me feel good. It puts a smile on my face. And um, you know, like I said, I just want to keep going and uh, and help as many people who are willing to be helped. You mentioned a simulator. It's still winter in Massachusetts for at least four more days, and it looks like there's going to be snow on the ground for a little while longer than that. So. I guess my question is: there are certainly plenty of winter golfers out there. But you also, while you're open year-round, you have a simulator as well. Which one would you say for the standard golfer is closer to the golf they play in normal warm weather? Would it be the simulator or would it be winter golf? Uh, I'd have to say the simulator. I mean, obviously there's something to be said for um, actually, uh, you know, being out on a golf course, but in the wintertime, um, it's it's hard to um it you know the ground is the ground's frozen solid you can't get a tee in the ground the greens are frozen solid the greens haven't been cut um you know conditions are always changing uh inside the simulator um you know you get virtually perfect conditions um but you know when you're you, you can play on a saturday and it's 85 degrees out and sunny you play on sunday and it's you know pouring rain and it's 50 um so the, obviously the conditions are are a lot different outside, uh, but I think for um, the average person, um, time would be more well spent um, with an hour in the simulator, um, whether on the range um, taking a lesson or even playing around the golf in the simulators, than it would be to uh, you know trudge around in the 20 degree 20 degree weather uh, outside. Um, you know uh, results can happen uh, in the winter time that. Uh, are um that you would not be able to replicate in the uh in the regular uh, golf season you know the ball's flying shorter you're hitting different clubs um it's flying shorter but it's rolling a lot further um so it, it, it people would be better off in my opinion um inside of the simulators obviously I can, there's plenty of people who would disagree but uh that's just my take on it well, there are plenty of winter golfers out there, and I'm not trying to harp in on winter golf being a bad thing, but I am a little curious because it seems like it's an entirely different game in the winter time. I personally am the kind of guy that aims for the ground when I shoot. I try and get the ball way up in the air. 
And I can imagine if I went out and played winter golf, I would lose a club or two out on the course just hitting it off the frozen ground. It seems like it'd be very difficult. A lot of people would have to change their swing. But there are people who go out and do it every year. And there are people who I would guess are regulars for winter golf. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have, um, I mean, we see it every year. Um, some people just love it. Some people just want to get out of the house. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, like you just said, I'm not, you know, I'm not hating on anybody. Um, and, uh, um, I, again, you mentioned embarrassing or funny moments. I, I, I sometimes have to shake my head and chuckle at people when they come in and want to pay a green fee to go out, <laughs> go out and play when, uh, the greens are covered in snow, but they come and, um, to each his or her own. How busy did it get last month when suddenly in February in Massachusetts, it's really nice out and it's pretty much golfing weather for maybe a day or two, at least in February. So I'd imagine for those brief moments of nice weather, the course was absolutely packed. Yeah. So that was, um, I think about three weeks ago, um, at this point, but we had to normally in the winter time, um, because uh, there are a lot fewer, a lot fewer um, people playing out the outdoors. Um, we just use a first come first serve tee time basis. Um, so you know, if you want to play, you don't need a tee time. You don't need to make one. You don't need to go online. You don't need to call the shop. You can just come over and play. And um, for that one Saturday in particular, um, we thought about it, and uh, and uh, I made the decision. We there was absolutely no way we could have done first come first serve. Uh, people would have been waiting for hours to get to the first tee. Um, so we had to switch to tee times. And um, on that one Saturday, we did about 175 golfers. And then the following Sunday, we did another 125. So we did about 300 golfers in two days in the middle of February, which was uh, pretty wild. Anyone in places like Florida or Hawaii or parts of California that can play year-round, when you're up in a place like the Boston area, and you have a long off season, any chance you can get to play golf, everyone jumps on it. It's crazy. This is also why people play the winter golf we were just talking about. This is why simulators are everywhere up in the Northeast. Nobody wants golf season to end, but for a lot of us, it does have to for a few months. And any glimmer of hope that we can play golf is greeted with nothing but enthusiasm so it it's always funny to ask something like that about what happens on the nice days because we do get a few of them in the winter sometimes so it, it's not always winters like a few years ago where it started snowing after the super bowl and didn't stop until march you've been a lifelong golfer i've asked a lot about your lessons i've asked a lot about giving lessons and about rewards from that but as a golfer yourself, maybe regardless of score, what's the most memorable round of your life? The most memorable memorable round of my life. Wow. Um, um, you know, uh, first time breaking seventy was a was a big day. Um, uh, you know, I. Uh, I, I uh, fortunate enough to make an albatross at South Shore Country Club on the 15th hole, which was a uh, which is another memorable day. So I have an albatross, I have a double eagle, but I do not have a hole in one yet. So I still got to uh, check that off my uh, 
off my to-do list, if you would. Um, this past summer, I had a round where I made nine birdies. That was pretty memorable. Uh, I saved the scorecard on that, and, uh, and then I uh, took it home, and I had to try to explain to my wife uh, uh, what actually that meant, and uh, she even she was pretty impressed, so that was pretty fun. Um, but I don't know. My, my favorite golf moment, I think for me, I have two probably. I remember one day, uh, playing in college, we had an event, and we play, we're fortunate enough to play up at Army um, at their course up there. And, you know, I knew my dad was coming, and uh, so I expected to see him there. He was driving up from, from Hingham, obviously. And I expected to see him, and, you know, it's hard not to, to look for someone if you know they're going to be there, even if it's, even though you're trying to focus on golf. And, uh, you know, throughout the round, I'm kind of I'm looking around. I'm like, where the heck's my dad? Where's, where's my dad? So finally, I'm like, all right, I'm finishing up. Here I go. I'm going down the 18th hole, going back towards the clubhouse, and I'm getting close to the green. I'm looking, and behind the green is a guy. I'm like, oh, okay. And sure enough, we get closer. I feel there's my dad. So I, I put out, and you know, I sign my card, and I, I, I turn it in with the other uh, competitors. And I said, Dad, what's up? Well, uh, we're, you know, I thought you, were, you know, did you just get here? What, what? He goes, I literally just pulled in the parking lot, and that meant so much to me that he, he may have saw me hit two shots, but he drove from from Hingham up to, you know, to West Point in New York to, and uh, just to watch me hit, I think, maybe two shots was uh, – that meant a lot to me. And um, and uh, my second favorite thing also involving my dad, but it was my dad, my brother, and uh, uh, my my one of my best friends, Ted. We, um, 2015, we were able to uh, actually attend uh, the Masters. We went down for a practice round, um, the four of us. And uh, – just being down there, um, you know, not following anyone in particular, but just being at Augusta National with my dad, who um, who was a big golfer, hurt his back, unfortunately, and he's trying to get back into it. But walking around with him, um, that was that was also pretty special. South Shore Country Club is in Hingham, Massachusetts. Chris Riley, head golf professional, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, see some of the listeners at the club uh, once the snow melts, hopefully sooner rather than later. I appreciate it. That's my show for this week. Thanks to Chris Riley for joining me and to South Shore Country Club in Hingham, Massachusetts. As someone who's played there several times, I'll tell you from experience it's a good challenge, but not unnecessarily challenging. We'll be back next week with another friend of the world of golf, Thanks for joining me this week on Ground Under Repair. Fairways and greens to you all. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.